about what the world is. I think believers in other generations had a much clearer vision of it, but I think today we're kind of confused about what it is. You know, we look at the world and we think the world is, you know, whatever is wicked and bad and the things we used to do. But because the world is so changed and the world has uh, really lost any standard of morality it has that it, it ever had, we tend to be much closer to the world than we think that we are. And so we need to look at this topic and kind of tease it through and ask the Lord to speak to us in it, right? <clears throat> Let me challenge you to this. And really, this is something you should do every time you hear a sermon preached. Right? <clears throat> you should ask the Lord to open your mind to receive what he has for you in it. Right? <clears throat> That's really what you want. You want the Lord to open your mind to receive what he has for you. He usually has something for me when I hear preaching. You know, I don't end up hearing preaching. I rarely hear preaching and walk away from it without God having something for me in it. I rarely prepare a sermon without God having something for me in it. We ought to be expecting that God would speak to us through the preaching of the Word. Let's pray and ask Him to do that this morning. Father in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for your Word. We ask you now, Lord, would you bless us? Would you be with us? Lord, would you speak to us? The Lord, we're gathered today to worship you and to hear from you and Lord, we want to be the kind of people that you're pleased with. We want to be a church that you can smile upon. Lord, we want it to be, Lord, that your hand is upon us for good, and, Lord, that you can use us to accomplish all that you would have us to do. Now, Lord, bless, or may we have open hearts to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, James chapter 4. We're going to read the first eight verses of it. For whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not even... Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust, and ye have not. Ye kill, and desire to have, and ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And then it's almost like he switches, and he comes out with a powerful statement. He says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Um, the verse we're going to focus on is verse 4. But I, but I want you to understand this, that verse 4 comes in the context of the rest of the verses there. And um, the trouble and the struggle inside us, and the failure to see God answered prayer, and the <clears throat> answer our prayer, the failure to see God deal with us the way we would want Him to deal with us, sometimes is born out of worldliness in our hearts. It's born out of a, a love affair with the world. And this idea of adultery, spiritual adultery, is, a, is, a, <clears throat> is a, a, an image that God uses for us very often. All the way through the Old Testament, He's accusing Israel of being unfaithful to Him. You know, if we were to give one reason why Israel got, got, got removed from the land, it would have been because of spiritual adultery, because they gave themselves to other gods, and because they loved the world. Now, we don't have idols on shelves, so we tend to look at Israel and say, well, listen, we're not involved in that. But do you understand that the problem of idolatry was a problem of the heart? That The, you know, the idol was nothing. So the, the problem for Israel was a problem of the heart, that their hearts were given over to idols. And listen, we're just as guilty in our day and age uh, of that kind of heart idolatry as Israel was. 
the things that we give our hearts to. <clears throat> when we delivery, deliberately choose the world, we are making ourselves, the passage tells us, enemies of God. Now, we don't like that thought. That one doesn't sit easy with me, the idea of making myself an enemy of God. And yet that's exactly what we're doing when we choose the world. <clears throat> God, as a husband, wants us to find our satisfaction in him. Now, let me say this before we <clears throat> go into it. God is not looking to limit your enjoyment. In other words, that you have no fun. That's not what God is doing. God is looking to limit where you find your enjoyment. Let me read you some verses. Um, Psalm 16, verse 11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Does that sound like fun to you? <clears throat> Listen, God wants to bless us. God wants us to enjoy him. God wants us to rejoice in him. He doesn't want us to live in a place, to live in a world uh, where, you know, there's no blessing. There's, it's just hard. It's grim. You know, the idea of a Christianity that is just grim and determined and hanging on there till the end is not what the Scripture gives us at all. Christians are supposed to be the most blessed people on the planet Earth. We, really, we have God. He wants us to have fullness of joy. He just wants us to have it in Him, not the world. Um, Psalm 36, verse 7 through 9 says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. By the way, God's loving kindness is something that follows you all your life. And you need to be thankful for those blessings that God gives you just because he's God. Not because you deserve them, not because you earned them, not because you even prayed for them sometimes. He, listen, his loving kindness is just exercised in your life over and over again. You know, God gives because he's God and he loves to give. We effectively have to do something to hinder him from giving in our lives. But we do need to be thankful. We need to remember the blessings in our lives and be thankful. Everybody in this room has more blessings than bad things in their lives. If you're saved today, you've got the greatest blessing anybody could ever have. And you definitely don't deserve that one. <clears throat> so we don't understand that, that, that God's loving kindness is something sweet in our lives. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Listen, that's good. The relationship God is calling us to is not something grim. It's something wonderful. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Listen, Delighting is not hard work. Delighting is a joy. Delighting is a blessing. And God says that if we will delight in Him, that He will give us the desires of our hearts. That He will meet our need. Now, by the way, it's not a delighting so that He will. Okay, I've got to remember to delight in God so that He will give me what I want. Uh, you're not going to fool God with that one. It's a delighting in God. And when you're delighting in Him, what happens is, listen, the tap's turned on. Blessings can flow in your life when you're giving yourself and your heart to Him. Um, there are lots more verses like that, but the point is that the world is an evil system that competes with God. It offers you pleasure apart from God, but true, lasting, eternal pleasure is to be had only in God Himself. Now, listen, we know that. Those of us that came out of the world definitely know that. Because, you, you know, <clears throat> what brought you to God? Well, you came to God because the world didn't satisfy. Isn't that right? You know, listen, you tried the world, you tried most of the things in the world, and you ended up dissatisfied. 
Right? Some of you have yet to find out how unsatisfactory the world is. I hope you don't have to go down that road. That's really a waste of time. But listen, the world doesn't satisfy. But we get saved and we realize, you know, listen, the world doesn't satisfy. And then what do we do? We start looking to the world to satisfy us when God isn't coming through for us. It's like, well, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. That one's dealt with now. Now now I should find something in the world that will make me better. And it's almost as though, well, now that I've got my relationship with God sorted out, now the world can satisfy me. It can't. Remember what God accused the Israelites of? He said they had committed two evils. They had forsaken him, and they had hewn out cisterns, broken cisterns that could hold no water. They forsook the fountain of living water, and they went to the broken cisterns, and it was never going to work for them. Listen, Christians do that every day of the week. Christians take and they turn from him uh, to find satisfaction in the broken cisterns of the world every day of the week, and it doesn't work. It'll never work. It's impossible for it to work. Understand this, by the way. Whatever satisfaction you could find in the world before you were saved, as his child, he's not going to let you. Understand that. Listen, it didn't satisfy you before you were saved. It's doubly not going to satisfy you now. Because you're his child. Listen, let let me bring bring your mind back to a verse here. Verse 6. Sorry, verse 5. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Listen, do, do you know that the Spirit of God is jealous over you? You're, you're espoused to one husband, and he's jealous over you. He wants you to give yourself wholeheartedly to him. And you know, listen, I, I would not want God to be upset with me on that level. And yet often we do that. You see, you can't be satisfied in the world. It's impossible. Right? It's impossible. I think sometimes, though, we're not aware of how we're being satisfied in the world or how we're looking to be satisfied in the world. But we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the world? Right? Well, the Greek word is the cosmos, and it basically means the arranged, ordered, harmonious word. And if we left it there, world, if we left it there we'd be fine, but it means a whole lot more than that. Right? The arranged world is under the power of Satan. And it's organized by him for his ends against God. That's the way it is. And you live in it. You live in that world. It's not about the physical place. It's about all that goes on. Let me, let me just read you some definitions here. Um, <clears throat> Trench summarizes the definition of the anti-God world system as all that floating mass of thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, aspirations, at any time current in the world, which it may be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitutes a most real and effective power, being the moral or immoral atmosphere, which at every moment of our lives we inhale, again, uh, inevitably to exhale. Right, so it's what's going on, the thought patterns and all that's going on in the world. It's all around us, right? Uh, Vincent says this, The sum total of human life in the ordered world considered apart from, alienated from, and hostile to God. That's really helpful to me. It's the idea of alienated from, apart from, hostile to God. Now, here's what you got to do. you got to work your way through, well, what of the world is alienated from, hostile, and apart from God? All. Right? If, we were to, if we were to take... You know, an example of some t- something that would, uh, would at best be, you know, uh, be neutral. Right? At worst, be neutral. We would say religion. Religion is not neutral. Understand this, that religion is not neutral at all. Religious people 
crucified Christ. It was, it's not neutral. It was part of the world system. They just didn't reckon on it, but that's, that's what it was. And, you know, religion is not something that's neutral at all. We've got to understand that, that there's a religion out there across the world, and inadvertently, it's part of the world system that's actually against God. Now, doesn't that make it confusing for us, doesn't it? You know, because we want the good guys and the bad guys. We want it to be simple. We want it to be like in the Westerns. You know, there's the good guys and the bad guys. We want it to be like a football team. You know, there's my team wearing the red shirts and the, there's the other team wearing the white shirts. You know, we, we, well, sorry, the green shirts tonight, guys, isn't that right? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> but we want it to be very simple and straightforward for us. It's not. You've got to understand that you're, you're living in and dwelling in a system that's hostile to God and that sucks you in so easily. Listen, if we know anything about our, our enemy, Satan, we know that he's clever and he's a liar. Right? <clears throat> you know, listen, he, he's wonderful at deception. He, he's a master at it. You're no match for him. You're not going to catch his deceptions that easily. Unless you're walking close to God, you haven't got a hope. But he is masterful, and he's going to deceive you so that you don't understand the world system that you're part of. So that you don't understand that you're getting involved in it. D. Edmund Hebert says this, <clears throat> He says the cosmos, as used in James 4, uh, does not refer to the material creation, but rather to the mass of unredeemed humanity as an egocentric world system that is hostile to God. It is a mighty flood of thoughts, feelings, principles of action, conventional prejudices, dislikes, attachments, which have been gathering around human life for ages, impregnating it, impelling it, molding it, degrading it. Its central aim is self-enjoyment and self-aggrandizement in disregard of or in open hostility towards God. Now you're saying, that's a bit harsh. You think it through. You think through all the issues that you come up um, preparing for tonight for uh, <clears throat> looking at the issue of feminism and things I never knew about feminism. Do you realize that feminism, when it's set out, realized that the scripture was against some of the things they were <clears throat> promoting? So what they did was they promoted basically uh, an idea of scripture that just removed the authority from scripture completely. They had to, to promote their idea. Now, you know, we live in 2012. Feminism is just something that's part of society. But the root of it, at the root of it, they decided Scripture was getting in the way. So they hacked away at it. Do, do, do you understand that so often <clears throat> what's happening in society is there's an effort to remove God? Watching a thing, documentary on tsunamis. <clears throat> you know, ten, ten, ten different deals about ten, ten different tsunamis this guy was going through. And fascinating, interesting. But subtly, underneath it all, he would mention the Bible and basically tell you that that was when people were too simple to understand that's, that, that nature itself can do it. And the idea was he was removing God from the picture. And, and that's what happens. Evolution does it. Society does it all the time. You know, morality has nothing to do with God. And we need to be very careful that we don't come to the place where, you know, what we're doing is we're, 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 we're soaking in some of those things. You know, and that we're trying to give a moral stand because the moral stand is the right moral stand and it's good for us. Listen, a moral stand is not right because it's good for us. It's always good for us to be moral. A moral stand is right because God says. That's what makes a moral stand right. And you need to be careful that you're not kind of subtly sucked into trying to base your moral stand on what's good for you. 
Because what you're doing is you're taking away the authority for your morality when you do that. Listen, we stand, uh, take a moral stand because God says. And what you do is you listen, you just take your moral stand, you, you'd say that's what God says. You don't have to get angry and bent out of shape with people and try and prove it to them. That's what God says. You know, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. When people actually don't live it, then they find out, you know what, God was right. <clears throat> but, but understand that, that there is, at the root of our society, there is a plan, there is a focus to pull God out of the picture. Now, <clears throat> listen, it's there, it's real, it's happening. You better be aware of it. You better understand that. You're living in a system that is against God. It doesn't matter how nice it is. It doesn't matter how people say, listen, it's okay for you to be a Christian and we'll be whatever we want to be. They don't really mean it. Because when you switch your Christianity, come and say, well, this is what God says. This is what the truth is. You know what? Then you get a reaction. They're not happy with that. Then you find, listen, they don't like it very much. And by the way, if we don't do that in our society today, we're useless in the world. What good is the salt of its lost its savor? What good are we if we're not light in the world? But we've got to understand that our lives are going to be lived across the grain of a world that wants to really basically remove God from it. Now you say, well, I know lots of people that don't want to do that. But <clears throat> when it comes down to it, how many people do you know that want to go with the authority of God? And if God doesn't have authority, is he really God? You know, if, if, if in their minds what they're saying to you is, well, look, we, we can believe in God, that's okay, that's fine. Um, you know, and we want to, they're going to put God in a box and he's going to be, you know, in, in a certain religious box, but he's not really the God who's in control of the world and he's not the God who can speak to the world and say, this is what I want. Is he really God? He's not. Part of being God means you say what goes. He's not really God. And what, what, so what, so oftentimes, what people are talking to you about God is not really the same God as you're talking about. Because this God the world has is under control. He basically can, you know, can be put in the box and he can be told what to do and he's fine with it. He's okay with it. He's the man above. He's whatever you want to call him. But he's fine with it. It's okay. That's not God. Listen, if we understand God to be God and God says something, we just go, oh my. That's what he said. That's what we got to do. We, we, we don't challenge God. We don't try and, you know, wisen God up. We don't try and soften God and bring him into the uh, 21st century. We just say, okay, well, that's what God says, and that's what God says. We may not know how we're going to work our minds around what God says, but we're going to work our minds around what God says, because that's what God says. There's no way around it. <clears throat> All right. Um, Griffith Thomas said this, Worldliness is a spirit, an atmosphere, an influence permeating the whole of life and human society, and it needs to be guarded against constantly and strenuously. And it does. It needs to be guarded against constantly and strenuously. Um, <clears throat> Weiss says this, he says, Cosmos refers to an ordered system. Here it is the ordered system of which Satan is the head. His fallen angels and demons are his emissaries, and the unsaved of the human race are his subjects, together with those purposes, pursuits, pleasures, practices, and places where God is not wanted. And listen, you just scratch the surface. God is not wanted. 
It's amazing. You know, listen, you've got a nice relationship. You're getting on with people. You're talking to people. And all of a sudden, you bring God into it. And all of a sudden, it's, the walls go up. Yeah. I was getting a while from my guy the other day. It was a while from my gates. It was... Um, and it doesn't matter. Anyway, I was getting this oil, and he and I were talking, and we were getting on grand and fine, and he got the oil for me. He even gave it to me for nothing. He was, he was just being genuinely a nice guy. And I took a tract out, and I began to talk to him. And he took the tract off me, and he passed it on to his friend, and end of relationship. Now, it's not that he didn't like me. He doesn't know me that well. But the reality is that when you bring God into the picture, there's a reaction. When you bring God into the picture and they begin to know what you're doing, there's a reaction. Why? Because the world system does not want God. God is to be out of the system. Um, The world, in its figurative sense, constitutes all the forces and elements opposed to God. It represents the whole complex of human institutions, values, and traditions that knowingly or unwittingly are arrayed against God. And sometimes it's unwittingly arrayed against God. Oftentimes, I think it is for them. Remember, there's a head of the system. And he has a plan, a purpose, a goal, and a focus. He wants to dethrone God. That's what he started off doing in the first place. And he hasn't changed that or kind of softened on that plan. Uh, That's still his plan for him. Now, let's look briefly at how we came to the situation where we are as far as the world is concerned. First of all, Adam. In Genesis 1.28, Adam was given dominion over the world. God told him, listen, it's all yours, Adam. Right, have dominion over it. Have power, authority, control over it. In Genesis chapter 3, um, Adam yielded his authority to Satan. And by the way, there's something really important for us to understand there. You know, when, when Adam actually yielded to Satan and obeyed Satan's plan, what he did was he gave over authority to him. Do you realize that every time you yield to Satan in your life, you give over authority to him? Every time you give in to him, you let him have his way in your life. What you do is you yield authority to him. And then Satan became the prince and the power of the world system. The Lord Jesus said in John 14, verse 30, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is telling you, listen, Satan's the prince of this world. By the way, Satan, when he was tempting the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, said, listen, see all the kingdoms, I can give them to you. That's, That's mine to give. And the Lord Jesus didn't say, no, it's not. Because you know what? It was true. He could do it. Because he's the prince and the power of the air. John 16, 11, uh, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he become uh, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Second <clears throat> um, Corinthians 4, verse 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, God gave Adam dominion, authority, control, And Adam gave it over to Satan, and Satan took over the whole show. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ defeated him on the cross, and Satan is a defeated foe, but the Lord Jesus Christ hasn't taken back the title deeds yet. He won't do that till he comes back. He's leaving him there in our day and age because he has a use for him, uh, we assume, but he's leaving him there. So what happened was, in the garden, the world system was set up. Now, it's very well developed, because remember, Satan is no fool. Satan is not God, doesn't know everything God knows, and doesn't have omnipotence, but he is very clever. And he has been working at his system ever since. Let me give you an illustration of Satan and his system. Look with me um, in Genesis chapter 11. 
Genesis 11, verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Right? Now, listen, uh, them dwelling there was understandable, except for one thing. God said, go out and replenish the earth. They were supposed to move out and replenish the whole earth. But they dwelt there. Now, you know, listen, typically we live in cities. And the reason we live in cities is because it's easier. You know, you've got a lot more services available to you. You've got a lot more stuff available to you, you know. <clears throat> so, so, so we tend to congregate in cities. You know, in our day and age, we've got a lot available to us anyway, whether we live in the city or in the country. But, you know, originally, if you had 50 people living together, it was a whole lot better than one family living together. Right? So <clears throat> they came out. By the way, this is Nimrod that we're going to look at here is Noah's great-grandson. Um, now, so understand that, that that Nimrod's grandfather was on the ark, right? Uh, his grandfather, uh, Cush, was, was actually on the ark, right? So we see we're a very short time now from the ark, and they're, they're dwelling there. They're kind of settling down. They, they don't want to go any further, right? And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime and they had for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, behold, the people is one and they have all one language. And this they, they will begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained for them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they all left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scattered them abroad upon the face of the earth. All right, now Nimrod is mentioned in chapter 10, and he's a mighty hunter, and he becomes known by the Lord, and he's the leader of this whole deal, right? <clears throat> Nimrod is the leader. By the way... Uh, <clears throat> The, uh, the uh, Epic of Gilgal is reckoned to be about Nimrod. Nimrod's name means rebel, right? He's not a nice guy. He's a rebel. He doesn't just go hunting rabbits. He's a rebel, a rebel against God, right? He's a mighty hunter in the land, and he's a rebel against God. And Nimrod uh, is, is the leader of this whole thing. And think about it. What they're doing is they're building this tower. Well, in everybody's memory is the flood. Everybody's memory is, you know what, listen, that, that, that flood was dreadful. Let's build us a tower so we're not so vulnerable to God anymore. Um, Nimrod in the Epic of, of um, Gilgamesh is recorded, reported to have killed God. He went after God and killed God. And that's just secular literature, but the, the two names can be tied together. And um, he is recorded as having killed God. And you see, here's the deal. That dreadful God had flooded the world and killed everybody. And now he wants us to go all over the land and replenish the earth. Well, we're not doing it. We're going to stay here. We're going to build us a tower. We're going to be comfortable. We're going to take care of ourselves. And we're going to remove ourselves from his influence. Apart from God. That's the world system right there. Now listen, I understand them wanting to be safe, don't you? In fact, I wonder if we'd been around, what we would have been doing? Would we have been saying, no, we should obey God? 
Or we, we have been saying, well, how are we going to build the bricks? How are we going to make the bricks? You know, we would probably have been sucked into the system, but the system in its root and its core is against what God wanted. It is, listen, it's inspired by Satan himself. It's something he wants to do. He wants them to stand against God and to do their own thing. And what you've got is you've got a world system. It's fully fledged by this point. Now, by the way, you need to understand this. It didn't work. God got his way in the end. He confounded their language, and they had to go everywhere anyway. And the world system will promise you everything, but never provide. It can't. Why? Because God's against it. And listen, if God's against it, how can it succeed? How can it actually work if God's against it? You see, these people wanted to satisfy themselves in life apart from God. That's what they wanted. And it couldn't happen. See, we need to understand that, listen, that's the system we're in, and it's much more developed now. And it's much more clever now. You know, and you've got Hollywood with all, all, all that Hollywood puts out. And, and you know, listen, be wise. Scratch the surface. When it talks about fathers as being dummies and, and um, you know, Neanderthals and all the rest, and what would they know? That, that's, that's, not just hap- that's not just funny. That's a program. That, that, that's setting out destro- destroying things. When it talks about homose- homosexuality, it makes it like, listen, most of the world is homosexual. What's wrong with you? It's doing the same thing. Listen, it's constantly promoting an anti-God agenda. It just is. That's the world system for you. Yeah, it, listen, they, they, don't, they, don't, you know, they don't go to anti-God classes. They're just part of a system that's inspired by Satan that they're constantly spouting it out. Listen, so much of what you're seeing, so much of, what's, of what you see in the world around you, listen, it's against God. Listen, you look at our political institutions, you, and you don't have to be you know, looking for, for, you know, for a demon under every stone. It's very obvious. When you've been to, well, you've got a world system that really wants nothing to do with God, that wants God out of the picture so that Satan ultimately can have his way. Remember, Nimrod would have been the leader in Babel. That's exactly what he wanted. He wanted to be the leader. But you know what? There was another leader inspiring him. Satan wanted to be the leader. And he's achieved it wholesale in our world. Our world. You see, Adam gave him authority, and he's, <clears throat> he's been able to achieve much. Um, <clears throat> the world is our constant enemy. It just is. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we're in enemy-occupied territory. That's what the world is. He said, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. There's no neutral ground. Most believers live as though there were just a neutral ground here. You know, okay, you know, we, we, we love God and we're going to heaven, but, you know, we're not, we're not anybody big, so we're just going to stay on the fence. Listen, there is no fence that you can stay on. There's no neutral ground. Everything is claimed by, by Satan and, and, and counterclaimed by, by, um, by God. Everything. He puts his hand on all of it. He wants all of it. Because we belong to Jesus, the world hates us. John 15, verse 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Jesus was just being harsh, wasn't he? It was a bad day. 
he was going to the cross. You know, he was, you know, he was feeling, he was feeling pretty vulnerable at that point. He was feeling a bit insecure. No, he's telling us the truth. Yeah, you know, that's Christianity. That's where it's at. That's what he's saying to us. He's saying to us, the world's going to hate us, and it does. And all you have to do is scratch the surface with your Christianity. Listen, if you go out there and be a vibrant witness, you're going to make lots of enemies. That's just the way it is. Right? Everyone that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And it's not just, you know, because, <clears throat> you know, because they don't like religion. The problem is they're part of a system that doesn't want God. And their minds are blinded. It's, it's, it's not the people that are our enemies. We were part of the people once, weren't we? The, the people are not our enemies. It's the system that they're part of. That's our enemy. And Satan is blind to their minds so that they can't see it. Uh, in John chapter 17, verse 14, uh, Jesus said this, I have given them thy word, and the world ha- hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Look, there can be no peace between us and the world system. It's impossible. There can't be You can't make peace with it. It's impossible. There's no neutral ground. If you're not standing against it, you're getting sucked into it. That's just the way it is. The world system is against God and against everything to do with God. And you've got to understand that you're not going to make uh, peace with it. Let me read you what Dave Roper says. He says, the Bible defines worldliness by centering morality where we intuitively know it should be. Worldliness is the lust of the flesh, a passion for sensual satisfaction, the lust of the eyes, an inordinate desire for the finer things of life, and the pride of life, self-satisfaction in who we are, what we have, and what we have done. Worldliness, then, is a preoccupation with preoccupation with ease and affluence. It elevates creature comfort to the point of idolatry. Large salaries and comfortable lifestyles become necessities of life. Worldliness is reading magazines about people who live hedonistic lives and spend too much money on themselves and wanting to be like them. Hello? Anybody do that this week? Um, But more importantly, worldliness is simply pride and selfishness in disguises. It's being resentful when someone snubs us or patronizes us or shows off. It means smarting under every slight, challenging every word spoken against us, cringing when another is preferred before us. Worldliness is harboring grudges, nursing grievances, wallowing self-pity. These are the ways in which we are most like the world. Ouch. Uh, Spurgeon said this. He says, The course of rebellion against God may be very gradual but it increases in rapidity as you progress in it. And if you begin to run down the hill, the ever-increasing impetus will send you down faster and faster to destruction. You Christians ought to watch against the beginning of worldly conformity. I do believe that the growth of worldliness is like strife, which is like the letting out, as the letting out of water. Once you begin, there's no knowing where you will stop. I sometimes get this question put to me concerning certain worldly amusements. May I do so-and-so? By the way, Spurgeon got it too. May I do so-and-so? I am very sorry whenever anyone asks me that question because it shows that there is something wrong or it would not be raised at all. If a person's conscience lets him say, well, I can go to A, he will very soon go to B, C, D, and E and through all the letters of the alphabet. When Satan cannot catch us with a big sin, he will try a little one. It does not matter to him as long as he catches his fish, what bait he uses. Beware of the beginning of evil, for many who bade fair to go right have 
turned aside and perished amongst the dark mountains in the wide field of sin. You know what? Listen, worldliness is all around us, chomping at our heels, wanting to grab us, wanting to take us. We need to understand we're in enemy territory. Now, that's not just to frighten you, because listen, there's nothing to be frightened of as long as you're standing with Lord, with the Lord. Right? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. You're, you're on the winning side. You're on the right side. There's no way the enemy can get you. But do understand that you're in enemy territory. He's looking to tear you down. He's looking to get a hold of you and to do damage to you. Um, he is constantly drawing you to his side. And make no mistake about it, um, that if he can, he will make you the enemy of God. There are lots of people out there who once walked with God and unwittingly are now the enemies of God. I, I can think of one preacher in Dublin. I'm, going to, I'm not going to mention his name. But there was a time when he preached the gospel fervently. There was a time when he would open his mouth and he, listen, he, would, he would let people hear the gospel. There was a time when he was unashamed and unabashed about it. But you know what? There came a day when he wouldn't do it. Because the world would think bad of him. And he would lose his platform with the world. You know what? He lost it and he didn't know it and he became the enemy because he wasn't actually preaching the word. Now understand that. Not, not my enemy, not your enemy, but he set himself at enmity with God. Where do you stand as far as the world is concerned? Do you think today you're standing neutral? Because you're not. You're either on one side or the other. Let me ask you some questions. <clears throat> Have you aligned yourself with the world? Are you seeking your satisfaction from the world apart from God? What about your entertainment? Do you watch things that you know do not please God? But it's okay. I need to have some fun. Do, 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 do you read books? Do you read mag magazines about the pop stars and so on? And you go, oh, that's dreadful. They're terrible. Do you, do you look to the world for your entertainment? Um, what about the world's applause? Do you want the world to be pleased with you? Listen, you and I are social creatures and we want to be liked. But understand this, that we can't go to the world for our applause. If we go to the world for our applause and we're expecting them to be pleased with us and we're hankering after that, we're in trouble. What about your pleasure? Listen, does God provide wonderful ways for you to enjoy life? Yeah. I think the, you know, uh, the happiest people on the earth are or should be believers because God's provided wonderful pleasures for us. <clears throat> but you know what? When we go to the world, things we know God is against for our pleasure, then we have a problem. We're, we're loving the world. We're aligning ourselves with the world. <clears throat> what about relationships? Listen, is God pleased with your relationships? Is God happy with them? Listen, God can give you the relationships He wants you to have. And listen, they can be a real blessing in your life. But you know what? so easy for us to go the world's way and put God out of the picture because I need to make this happen. And we take and we go and do it. What about work? Do you need to work? Yeah, you need to work. You're supposed to put bread on the table. You're supposed to feed your family. But when work becomes the motivating factor in your life and it's something you're doing so that you can have and you don't need God in it, you know, it becomes worldly. You know, some of these things may not be outright wrong. Some of them might be in your life. But your heart is the key in the matter. It is the effort to satisfy yourself apart from God. If you're, 
aiming to satisfy yourself and kind of put God out of the picture, that's worldliness. That's what it is. If you can't, with your hand on your heart, say, Lord, thank you for this. Lord, I'm a joy. I can rejoice in what I'm doing because it's a gift from you. And you're putting him out of the picture. That's worldliness. That's what it is. It's worldliness. And listen, it's nipping at our heels all the time. We live in it. We live in a world that's going a completely different direction. And if we're not careful, we automatically get sucked into it. We automatically become part of it. And when we become part of it, James says we become the enemies of God. I don't want to be the enemy of God. I'm his child. He loves me. I'm going home to be with him. But I don't want to live like his enemy. I want to live a life that counts for him. But you know what? Everything I need, i got to find in him. And anything I need, he can give me. But I've got to stop waffling about the idea of being neutral. Nothing's neutral in the world. There's nothing neutral. It's all either worldly, inspired of Satan, or it's his. And we've got to make the hard choices and live the right way and know the blessings. I believe that God should be seen through us. I believe that's what he wants, wants the world to see him today. But you know what? How can he be seen through us if we're worldly? Don't you think the world knows, you know, when you're drinking from the same fountain as they are? Don't you think they reckon, what's what's your man's problem? Don't you think they understand that, listen, what you're doing is showing that your God doesn't satisfy? Listen, he is enough. He is sufficient. He can give you everything you need. I guarantee you he'll make you wait. He always makes his children wait. But he can give you everything you need if we'll just come to him and we can know fullness of joy. Not just the half-hearted way the world does it. Fullness of joy. Let's look to him. Let's bow our hands for prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for challenging us in this area. Lord, I thank you for challenging me in this area. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you lay hold upon us and would you work deep in our hearts as far as this is concerned? Lord, I fear that we could just take it and put it to one side and not really do business with you on it. Lord, may that not be. Lord, may it be that the deep work is done. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And God is speaking to you. And you know he's speaking to you. There's something in your life that's not as it ought to be. There's an area in your life where clearly you see it's the friendship of the world. And today you're going to say to God, Lord, take it away. I want rid of it. I don't want it in my life. I want to find my all in all in you. If there's something in your life like that, something you know that God is putting his finger on and saying, you need to put this aside, would you lift your hand? Amen. 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 You can put them down. Let me ask you this. You're here today and you've realized that you're trying to make the world neutral. It's no big deal. It's just neutral. But the Spirit of God has shown you, no, it's not neutral. You're either on one side or the other. There's no neutral. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. Amen. 
Let me ask you one other question. You're here this morning and we're talking about salvation. We're talking about talking to people who are gods and, and you realize you, that's not who you are, that you're not his, that you're not born again this morning. But you want someone to take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. Someone to show you how you can come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. How you can understand all these things that we're talking about. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you?